0: Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy. And this time we'll be talking to some of the artists playing next week's New Music Dublin Festival, which starts on Thursday. And we'll also be hearing about the performance work for which the artists Pauline Cummins and Francis Mazzetti have been wandering dressed as men through various European cities. And we'll talk to the Dutch English duo Avenue Azur about the music they call almost songs. But we begin this week in search of. Lost Sound with Natalia Bayliss. Bayliss is a sound collector as much as she is a composer and a musician, building her work from captured bird songs, fieldwork sounds, voice messages, and in the case of one recent album, the sounds of decomposing pianos uncovered in locations in Limerick and Amsterdam, Morocco and Cork. Bayliss' latest Prophecy of the Beetle, which scores the trail of an insect wandering through a woodpile, has its world. Premiere next week at the New Music Dublin Festival, but before that, Natalia Baylor spoke to Culturefile about place in music and music in places.
1: I um, went to a dinner party recently, and somebody um, there was there was only four of us, and somebody was like, "Oh, we go put on a tape," and somebody ended ended up putting on a tape of um, field recordings that I'd made, and we had this. Dinner where we just listened to this tape I'd made of field recordings of like really rhythmic and drony field recordings that were not meant to be listened to in a dinner party setting. When I re- recorded it, as with everything, I always imagined somebody on their own, either in their room or lying down with headphones or listening to it on the stereo. But uh, it was so awkward for me, and I just felt like it was such awkward dinner party music or sounds. I kind of enjoyed that as well, but I definitely, anytime I make anything, I generally think of people listening to it on their own at home or walking around. I I do love the idea of juxtapositions. They love juxtapositions. So the idea that somebody might be walking through the city and listening to a voice describing the Bogs of Athlone, I think there's so much power then within that juxtaposition because it's nearly like, affecting you more because of what you're seeing in front of you. My name is Natalia Baylis and I am a sound artist and musician. So I live in, um, I'm a rural dweller in Leitrim, like 10 minutes outside of Carrick on Shannon. I have been here for about 17 years, and it's definitely only since moving here that I've started to connect with field recordings and sounds in, in the way that I do now. Moving here has definitely opened me up to being able to hone into specific sounds and really start to open myself up to being able to hear sounds because there's so much more space to immerse yourself in individual sounds out here. There's so few sounds that happen on a regular basis in in rural Ireland. You know, you have your, wherever you live, you're going to have whatever farmers are around you are usually the sounds that are going to contribute to that soundscape. So you kind of know, okay, today it's it's you know February, um, the sounds I'm gonna hear are probably this. And so you just have a lot of space then to consider any other unusual sound that might come your way and um, to really immerse yourself within that particular sound. So um, yeah, I think living rurally has opened up my own way of working with sound to be more sort of microscopic and looking at sound quite specifically. with invaded by fireflies i recorded that all myself so that was all um every 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 part of that was definitely on my own in my own home studio it's quite an introspective sort of definitely a very solitary um composition um so for that kind of thing yeah that was all gathered together in different bits and then just sort of weeks and weeks of being immersed in the sound of it I think especially with Invaded by Fireflies, um, that uses so many um, recordings of friends of mine's voices that I had, and I was definitely missing being around those people. And that that piece was definitely made because I just wanted to be immersed in their voices and feel like I was connecting with them on a different level than just kind of through WhatsApp messages or whatever. Um, So even though it's not a response to anything that happened during the pandemic, it's it's definitely a response to that slight feeling of um, just missing people. Yeah, missing friends and conversations. Half of them were recorded a few years ago in person. Um, so half of them were recorded with no intention of creating a sound collage out of them. They were recorded as um, to be used during a live gig. And then the other half were recorded... Um, after I'd, decide, after I'd come up with the idea and those, those voices were recorded from people like my neighbors and other people were kind of around me at the time that I was seeing. So I asked people to close their eyes and then I asked them to imagine a place that they had been that was overwhelmingly beautiful um, and then um, it could be inside or outside and then I just asked them to describe what they saw in front of them. And then when they were done describing what they were visually seeing in their memory, I asked them to tell me what they could hear um, that was happening in that place at the time. Like soft colored pastel icing powder. And you can see the windmills
2: and the fields. And you can see like all the little houses, but everything's all different colors. And then um,
1: people found it some people found it really hard some people um that i approached and asked to do it um i think when you ask someone to imagine somewhere beautiful they've been people can sometimes nearly get anxious about making sure they pick somewhere that's beautiful enough but um it's so different for everyone what they find beautiful i'd say i had maybe 20 more voices recorded on another dictaphone tape of people that i'd asked to describe places but unfortunately my dictaphone broke so i couldn't um use any of those voices but uh those were, I'd say those were a little more diverse where people were describing. One person described um, being in Venice and just people being, tourists being everywhere, and they just found that so beautiful to be amongst so many tourists. But most people described pretty isolated places where they were on their own. Um,
0: and
2: I can hear,
1: uh, I can hear cars, but like very far away. Where um, where we do live it's um, we are surrounded by uh, kind of industrial forestry so when they came to clear fell around us a couple years ago those sounds were it was it was violent there's no other way to describe it because you can hear the you know the shredding of things that you know sort of are affecting um, animals and birds and so um, I mean I assume it's the same for someone who lives anywhere where they're surrounded by the, those kind of sounds that humans make that are destructive upon humanity and landscapes. It's quite, it's quite intense to be surrounded by that. So whose woods these are? It was written to be um, like a woodland journey. So the sonic experience is the idea is kind of trying to bring the listener into their own imagined woodland, whatever that might be, wherever they are. They don't have to be in the woods to be listening to it. Um, so it is quite. The pieces are. Um, it starts off like with the idea that when you first kind of walk into the woods, you know you sort of know which path you're going down and you kind of know where you are. And then as the we move along through the tracks. It's kind of like sometimes when you get deeper into the woods, you might get a little bit lost or you might start um, thinking you hear something rustling behind you or you might see something kind of fluttering over here. And so it starts to get a bit more sort of uh, otherworldly nearly. So as we move through the piece, it kind of starts to move into that otherworldly aspect of being in nature um, where you start to start sort of leave the sort of human connections a bit behind and start getting more into that ecosystem and get getting plugged into it and whether you're hearing a rustling and thinking oh and putting your own intention on it or whatever it is you are sort of becoming more within that ecosystem of mystery and magic that exists once we start letting ourselves get connected more into nature I've written a new piece for the New Music um, Festival. I found this uh, piece of ash in our wood pile. I don't know where it came from. It must have come from the townland somewhere when we were gathering up wood. But um, it's this piece of ash, and the bark was stripped away from it. And under the bark, there is all of these patterns that have been left by um, a bark beetle. So it's a beetle that kind of gets in under the bark, and it... um, makes this kind of thick line and lays all its little eggs and as the eggs hatch um they kind of they come out from the middle line where all the eggs have been laid and make these beautiful little beetle patterns um before they turn into pupas and fly off I got really inspired by this particular piece of ash and especially because of um The ash in Ireland and in Leitrim, all the hedgerows in Leitrim just have ash trees in them, and they're all starting to die now, which is quite sad, but like it's so part of um, the evolving landscape at the moment is the ash tree and what's happening with it. And um, so I got really influenced by these bark beetle patterns on this piece of ash and decided to use them as um, a visual score for myself to create this composition. is going to be performed while it will have a lot of aspects of the written piece will be a whole different experience to listen to it because, you know, even things like the person next to you might be in the audience, might move around a lot if you're in the audience and they might be like, you know, moving their clothes a lot and suddenly your experience of what you're hearing is completely different based on the room around you and what's happening in the room around you. And I kind of love playing with that and I kind of love being really aware of that. As a performer, you never really know, especially when you're playing less straightforward songs, you never really know what's going to happen and what's going to feed into the performance um, and what the audience is going to bring to it. So you can try to recreate... um, audio pieces, but you're never going to be able to recreate them exactly or have that exact same experience.
0: Natalia Baylis there and Prophecy of the Beetle is part of Diatribe Records' landscape series on Saturday, the 30th of April, at the National Concert Hall at 2 pm. And next on the Culture File Weekly, the long walk of artists Pauline Cummins and Francis Mazzetti, currently having a retrospective at South Tipperary Arts Centre, is a multi annual performance project from Cummins and Mazzetti. Since 2009, they've been investigating the different ways men and and women inhabit urban space by taking on the appearance of men and walking in cities around Europe. Through streets from Derry to Dublin, Istanbul to Seville, the artists have moved in disguise, exploring what's taken as natural for men and for women about the use and ownership of everyday spaces. Rachel Andrews went for a walk on the streets of Clonmel with the artists as well as through the exhibition that documents their project, Walking in the Way...
3: Can we go up to the main street. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's what's interesting is, say we're going. We did a whole series in Spain, and we were invited to perform in Madrid and Seville and Malaga, and the um, we kind of drew up a contract of how we would interact with the city and where we would like to be. So the people on the ground would send us information in particular areas in its history. And then we would spend time there, as ourselves, wondering about, meeting people, talking to people. As female artists. As female artists, and then, so we'd arrive in Madrid, but we'd notice, i like, see the guy coming down with the blue hat. <laughs> and the so we'd say, oh no. And we'd kind of see, what's going on there, we might walk a little behind the person and we'd say, that's a look, we can carry that look off and its is it particular to this particular city or is it not? So we spend our time wandering around looking at men, how they use the city So we noticed in Madrid, men wear these particular hats and so once you had a kind of, you dress quite smart, wear one of those hats Nobody sees you, nobody notices. You're in Madrid, you're part of Madrid. My name is Pauline Cummins, I'm a visual artist. You know, we tried something out with the group, with the Performance Collective, while we were in a gallery called Catalyst in in Belfast. And we tried that out, but it wasn't in any sense other than, let's see what this is like, we'll wear men's clothes and see if anyone notices that we're not men and that was very interesting because people didn't people who knew us didn't know us and then the next time because we were busy on other things we'd be looking for a date we found the date and francis says oh that's father's day and we said oh let's do it about what we remember how we were influenced by our fathers we picked a street in dublin that they would have both been familiar with the Pro Cathedral where, where my, my dad met his dad every Sunday morning. This one
4: here is from Derry Ah, Jerry. and um, that was the eight hour performance so we walked through the streets for most of the day in 2012 and uh, so we walked through the streets as you see embodying men are sometimes going into cafes that looked or associated with men, mainly, and this, as you see, is in Derry, and I really liked it. I'm Frances Mazzetti, visual artist, Baldies is the name of it, the barber there, and we were introduced, there's a ritual there that the fathers would bring their sons to this Baldies well, for their first yeah. haircut, oh, men, only. men only, only, yeah, he wouldn't cut women's hair, and uh, so we went in as women and I showed him some of the photographs and he said, as long as you come in dressed as men. The following day, we were doing the performance and um, I sat into the chair to get my hair trimmed and the barber said to me, is your friend not coming in today? Pauline was sitting right beside me, <laughs> already getting her hair done.
3: Wow, so, um, okay, this what's happening was, here? <laughs> this, this is one where I was on my own but I think earlier we were saying we were both performing around the same time, but Francis in Dublin, me in Istanbul, and if you see these marks around, this is made by plaster, by plaster dripping out of a hole I've deliberately made in the bag, so that where I go, I leave a trail.
1: Catherine Marshall was writing in one of the essays in the book and she said part of the point of the exercise is actually to be invisible rather than visible. In
4: full sight. In full sight, yes. If you're comfortable, you know, if you're comfortable in what you're doing and that, so you're not drawing attention to yourself, you're in that situation, you're performing a task really to carry it off, to lose all your self-consciousness and just drop it and just be that character. But it's amazing when you step into that, when you think of what it feels like, where in your body do you feel it? And immediately, shoulders went back. We stood up, we felt it in our bodies and said, this
3: actually feels really good.
4: You know, why don't we do more of this? (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah. It was exploring how comfortable it can be to just be in the street as a man. Mm and that uh, you lean on a pole or you lean on a bin and you're, it's, it's your world. Mm-hmm. It's just you're comfortable, you're, you're surveying your kingdom. Women don't feel comfortable. If you stand on a corner of a street, it's partly in your head but also the, the looks you get. What are you doing? Why are you there? Are you on your own? And it's, it's almost we're, we're not conscious of it. But if you say it to any woman, they will say, yes, yes, that's exactly how I feel.
0: Pauline Cummins and Francis Mazzetti there talking to, Rachel Andrews and that retrospective of Walking in the Way is at the South Tipperary Arts Centre in Clonmel until May 14th. And finally, this time, the almost songs of Avenue Azure, Saskia Lankun and Peter Harden first met as students at the Royal Conservatoire in The Hague where the teaching staff included Lewis Anderson and from where they emerged as Ensemble Clang, now a star, new music group with a back catalogue of a what's what of exploratory contemporary music but even working with that questing sextet left something unexplored and together Pete and Saskia formed Avenue Azure, a slow burning voice guitar piano duo that wanders in a world they call almost songs often drifting but never directionless music made to conjure the atmospheres of places they know and imagine together as Saskia Lankhorn and Pete Harden Unexplained to culture file
5: a lot of the the music that we 're we're making and, the, and the, the images that we pass around between us relate to a duskiness, so that this moment of transition in, in, in light between day and night, this sort of moment in the evening. Where you where, where the sun is sort of we're here in the Hague on on the beach
2: yeah we're very close <laughs> so
5: we get a, a sunset over the uh, North Sea each evening and you have this amazing set of colours and and light changes that happen every night and and very often the this grey sky that we have blends into the greyness of the North Sea but then every so often you get this wonderful orange glow of the sunshine somewhere around there as well. Mm.
2: met uh, at the conservatoire we were both studying uh, at the the royal conservatoire in the hague i was studying classical piano and um, i was always very interested in uh, working together with composers and with the composition departments and that's how we met um, doing projects Together, Pete looking for a pianist uh, to play some music. Uh, other, other other musicians looking for composers to write for them. So it was a very fruitful period in um, in uh, the Royal Conservatory at that time.
0: How, how was it to work uh, w- with Anderson? I, I would think that there's a sort of um, kind of political identity you need as much as uh, as a composer's identity in in those circumstances.
5: Yeah, he was always really engaged with um, with people actually, and, and politics came into that, of course. Um, but he was also very engaged with the relationship between the the music and the listener, and that was fascinating. But he was also very technical. You know, one of my first lessons—I I was young when I came out. Um, I was in my early twenties. But one of my first lessons was uh, you know, nothing to do with the the bigger message, let's say, of music. The sort of why do you make music and what do you want to say with the music that you make, but just about the technicalities. And just said, you know, I think you should go away and just just come back with twenty interesting chords. <laughs> And did you find 20? Well, then the next week I came back with 20 and he would sort of run his finger down all of them and just go, well, that would be more interesting if you had changed that note for this note and that one would, that, oh, that's an interesting chord. But that's said, well, no, that's, that's, that's a weak chord. This is a strong chord. <laughs> but he was always interested in a, a sort of a, a, a recalcitrance as well. So he was always interested in the wrong notes. The wrong notes were the good notes. The, that period that Saskia was talking about in the, the Conservatoire, which was a really vital and, and energetic uh, moment um, with with uh, some fantastic composers teaching in the composition department, not only Louis, but also people like Richard Ayres and people like Clarence Barlow. So they brought composers from all over the world coming from very different traditions. And to make projects happen, to make music happen, you just had to wander around the cafeteria and ask players to come and play it. And uh, there was a lot of setting up uh, your own ensemble, setting up your own concerts... Real sort of uh, proactive nature of uh, putting your music into a space and hearing it, and then learning from that. We came out of that tradition with Ensemble Clang, with six performers um, that really loved playing with each other and um, shared a sort of passion for for new music and and a sort of third, fourth generation of what what here you would call a Hague school kind of music that comes out of the Andreessen tradition with saxophones and electric guitar and and percussion and, and amplification. But then adding a, a sort of, I'd say, a sort of finesse in, in sound um, mm, to that.
2: People that want to wanted to play new music but wanted to play it like like Mozart, you said at once, I like that because that's like what we really wanted to be doing. like playing it on the level as high as possible. And uh, that's what really linked us as musicians in the ensemble.
0: What was it you felt that you couldn't do with them, that you wanted to have a a duo on your own?
2: Making music uh, inspired by um, landscapes or things that we both experienced, And, and then not like having a written sheet of paper that we commissioned someone to write for us, but that we can really make together. And I was hearing sounds that I haven't heard yet on the papers that we on the music that we had played so far. So it's like, hey, there's this there's this world that we haven't touched yet.
5: It started when we were both um, seeking out something a little bit fresh and a little bit new. I can't remember exactly what we'd been busy with at that point. I think a lot of, pro- probably projects where there were a lot of notes on the page. We were sort of uh, trying to chase after this this, this uh, conceptual goal that somebody presents to you. I can't remember how we hit on almost songs, but when we hit on it, we said but that's exactly what it is and that's exactly what we're making. It also opens up, because there's something warm and, and, and comforting about the idea of a song, there's also, it opens the door to be a little bit more experimental sometimes with what you're doing. River Corral is maybe the most constructed of all the pieces. I think it came about while we were playing with ways, new ways of making Music in the room together It's basically a double chorale. There's a, a set of chords in the piano and a set of chords in the guitar.
2: And we we had we chose our own chords.
5: And they just phase across each other. And then uh, I don't know how we hit on river. I think it was double chorale for a long time. And we said, well, there should be a body of water.
2: Yeah, and also there is some sense of floating in that piece. And the the other pieces are more like they're more worlds or not static. It's not a good word, but like they're more like. They stay there, but like the River Corral, is something that's kind of—it really has some kind of, some kind of direction.
5: Is the one track that doesn't have any electronics, you know, more than to strip, something like a no singing either.
2: No, just just yeah. just a few chords. Yeah.
0: I wasn't noticing that, that actually there were no electronics. I thought they were, but I mean, it is—it it does feel more like the organic food aisle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
5: It's uh, you know, it's very uh, clean living.
0: Saskia and Pete, aka Avenue Azure, there, and they'll be playing their almost songs next Friday, 29th of April, at the Kevin Barry Rooms in the National Concert Hall, Dublin, as part of New Music Dublin 2022. And that brings to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more respectably upright sounds next Saturday, tea time. Till then, bye now.